back together. And over the next several centuries, God began to prepare the way for this person who would become the Savior of the world. Exact details of his birth, his life, his death were all spoken by the prophets. They were recorded for us in the Bible centuries before his coming. In fact, the whole Bible ultimately points to this one person as the focal point of all human history. You want to know what the Bible's about? It's about Jesus and his rescue for your life. Jesus said it well in Luke 19.10, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And so in the midst of God's judgment upon sin, here he makes a promise to Adam. And that promise was reiterated through the law and the prophets, through the teachings of Scripture. We see it in Genesis chapter 6, where there Christ, the picture of Christ, is the ark that Noah builds. It's the ark that carries Noah and his family through the judgment waters that God unleashed upon this sinful world. We see, we see it in the blessing of Abraham. As Abraham, this pagan, is called out to believe in God. And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We see it in the establishment of Israel as God's called out people. We see this promise here in King David who is a man chasing after the heart of God. He is a man and a king that is different than the king that preceded him. He loved God. He pursued God. He desired God. Was he perfect? Was he blameless? No, there was skeletons in his own closet, but he was a man who loved God. We see it in the prophecy of Malachi as the Old Testament closes. There the the prophet Malachi speaks of one who would come, speaks of a forerunner who would come before Jesus and the Messiah who would be Jesus. We see that the promise of a coming Messiah would take away the sin that was made. We see it also in the words of Jesus himself in Luke chapter 22, a passage of scripture that we will use in just a few minutes to to observe the Lord's Supper here. Jesus is eating this Passover meal with his disciples just before he goes to the cross. And he says, and the Bible says, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What is Jesus doing here? He's reiterating the promise that has already been made for centuries. That what God has said in Genesis 3.15 and what God has said through the story of God's people over the history, or throughout history, and through the prophets, has now culminated in me. And my body is about to be given as a sacrifice. My blood is about to be spilled for the remission of all sins. The Lord Jesus promised to rescue. And secondly, we see that the promise was kept. A promise was made and a promise kept. The Bible tells us that the promised Savior simply was God. As he says there in Genesis 3.15, there's going to be one who comes and and you're going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And you read that by itself and you say, who is he speaking of? Who is he referring to? Is it someone that's going to come from, from, from Abraham's line or is it someone from somewhere else? And obviously we know it comes through that line, but it's not just a human. He's a God man. He's 100% God and 100% man. God taking on human flesh. He took on humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Fulfilled all the predictions of the Old Testament. You see, Jesus' birth was miraculous. How was it miraculous? It was miraculous because he was born from a mother who was a virgin. She had never known a man. 
His life was unique because he perfectly enjoyed and obeyed God the Father without ever sinning. Can you imagine that? Just think about that for for a moment. How many things have you already today thought of that were not pleasing to God? How many things have you already done in this early part of the day that are not pleasing to God? And, And the thought of being sinless and blameless and perfectly obeying God in everything. And yet, that's what Jesus did. He was unique. This ultimately led to his agonizing death on a cross. As he willingly, as he obediently, and as as he sufficiently died to pay the sins for mankind. And all of this according to God's plan. Jesus did it for us. He kept the promise of God the Father. See, in the greatest display of mercy and grace that the world has ever known, Jesus traded his life for ours. His life, perfect. His life, blameless. His life, uh, absolutely uh, miraculous and wonderful and good and righteous and holy. And he trades that for ours, which we know are despicable and sinful and unrighteous and unholy and ungood. And that's the great exchange. His death became a substitute for all who would trust in him. Sometimes there's been moments in my life, especially as a younger kid or even as an adult, I would think about, especially this time of year of Easter, I'm like, why did Jesus die on a cross? And, and you'll hear that statement, Jesus died for you. And sometimes when you hear that, you don't really understand what that means. What do you mean Jesus died for me? Jesus died my death. Why was I going to die on a cross? Have you ever thought about that? It's not that you were necessarily going to die on the cross. Not necessarily you're going to be put on there by Roman uh, soldiers and you're going to be crucified in that sort of way. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. What we mean when we say a statement like that is this. You deserve that death. You deserve the punishment of God the Father exhausting his wrath against your sin. That's what you deserve, but that's not what you get when you place your faith in Jesus. You get grace. You get what you don't deserve. You don't get the punishment. Instead, you get forgiveness. And you don't get the things that you do deserve, which is hell and separation from God for all of eternity. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he did die for you, and he died for me. He did die our death. Not necessarily a death on a cross, per se, but he died in our place experiencing the wrath of God the Father that should be exhausted on your sin. It was exhausted on him. He died in our place. He's our substitute. He is our sacrificial lamb who dies and sheds his blood on behalf of others. And So today he's become our substitute for all of us who would trust in him. Here's a statement. The perfectly innocent died to rescue the hopelessly guilty from sin and Satan. You say, in Satan, what does that mean? It means this. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, their allegiance and ownership, who they were owned by, no longer was under God the Father. Now their allegiance is under, God, uh, under Satan himself. Because now he's their Lord. You're always going to be a lord, to, a slave to something. Some lord's going to be over your life. You're either going to be a slave to Christ because he's your lord and master, or you're going to be a slave to Satan and self because that's your lord and master. You're not your own person. And so the lie that the devil gave to Adam and Eve, saying that when you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. Sure, you're going to know good and evil, but you're not going to be like God. You're going to be like Satan himself, a deceiver, 
wicked to the core. He is now your father. Jesus comes as the innocent one to die in the guilty's place, to rescue the hopelessly guilty from sin and from Satan. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, Jesus died once. He doesn't have to die every day. He doesn't have to die every year on the day of, of atonement. He doesn't have to do all the things that were required in the Levitical law. No, he died one time, and his death is sufficient to pay the penalty for all sin, past, present, and future. The righteous one has been offered as a sacrifice for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but three days later made alive in the Spirit. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because if Jesus was still in the grave, he would be nothing more than a martyr for us. He wouldn't be nothing more than a good man who says, I'll give my life to them. But he would have no power to do anything for us to overcome death. But he rose from the grave, being made alive by the Spirit. You see, the grave could not hold Jesus. Three days later, he emerged from his tomb, fulfilling his earthly mission to defeat sin by dying on the cross, but also defeating death by rising from the dead, just as God promised. And 40 days later, he ascended to the Father, and today he reigns as our rightful king. God made a promise, and God has kept that promise. There will be one who comes, and you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to take that heel, and he's going to crush your head. And on the cross, that's what Jesus did. He crushed the heel, the head of the serpent with his heel. And today he's our rescuer. He's our rescuer who heroically sacrificed his life for others. His death perfectly and sufficiently satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. See, when, when we say that his death perfectly and sufficiently met the requirements that God made, we mean this, there's nothing else that needs to be added. It's not Jesus plus my good works. It's not Jesus plus how faithful I am to church, but you should be faithful to church. Let's, let's go ahead and say that. Hebrews 10.25 tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of the brethren. You need to be in the fellowship of church, but you don't need to be in the fellowship of the church to have salvation. It's not contingent upon your, uh, your, your presence here or your activity here. It is good for your spiritual growth, though. See, Jesus is sufficient in and of himself. It's not Jesus plus how many sweet little old ladies that you can help across the world as a Boy Scout. It's not Jesus plus how well you keep the law or how well you do whatever. It's Jesus plus nothing, and that equals salvation. Today, we can experience life with God the Father because of the substitute of God the Son. Our shame, our separation, our brokenness that, that came into existence in the, in the story of humanity because of Adam's sin can be healed through faith in Jesus Christ. This is how the Apostle Paul sums it up. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? That's the rescue of Jesus. You see, when we place our faith in him, he takes away our sinful past. He puts it in the rearview mirror of life. Oh, we remember it, and we often should think about what we were like before Christ, but it has no bearing upon where we're going. It's in the past. The other day, we were coming back from Myrtle Beach, and I'm the driver when we take family trips, and uh, I don't know if that's a curse or a blessing, but I'm the driver, which means I don't get to partake in all the movies that get to be watched. I listen to them. It's like listening to books on tape. I mean, I can quote all the kids' movies, but if I saw them, I'd be like, I don't really know what that is, but if I heard them talk, I'd be like, I know exactly who that is. That is Elsa. That is Anna, or whatever. I know them all. So we're listening to uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe the other day. I think I m- quoted from it last week, in the, or Nick did in the message. Told the story of it. And so I'm listening to that. And, and if you remember the part of the story where, where um, Edmund has, has betrayed his brothers and sisters and betrayed Aslan, and he meets up with Aslan, and, and they all come to that camp, and, and Aslan steps out, and there's Edmund beside him. I've seen the movie, actually, but I've also heard it many times. And Aslan comes out, and he says, What's done is in the past. You don't need to bring it up again. And I love that statement. And I'm paraphrasing basically what he says there. But that's what Jesus does for us. Our sins are in the past. They're not held over our heads. That's what Paul says. We are a new creation. Old has passed away. New has come. Jesus has taken away our sinful past. He's placed it in the rearview mirror of our life. And now we are cruising down the interstate with Jesus. We are clean. We are free. We are forgiven. We are in relationship with Jesus. And we are being made more and more into the image of Christ. All because of what Jesus did. In its place, we have this new life. This is a life free of shame. Think about that. Think about the shame that we have in our life that sin brings about. And as Christians, do we still feel shame? Sure we do when we sin. Sure we do when we mess up. Sure we do when we choose to do what's wrong. But when we go to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I've done wrong. There is forgiveness there. And we don't have to carry that shame around. The only one who wants us to carry our shame is the enemy himself. He wants to keep you locked up and bound in guilt and shame. But Jesus wants to liberate us and to make us free and clean and holy. There's also, in Jesus, the loss of separation. We're no longer separated from God. We're no longer wandering through this world, wondering, how am I going to make it? What am I going to do? No, we have one who sticks closer than a brother. He's a good friend. He's a Savior. He's a Lord. He's a Master. He's a father. And as we live our lives through Jesus, think about this. He begins to heal those broken spaces within us. The brokenness that is there because of the fall. The brokenness that's there because of the effects of sin. He begins to put those things back together. Is it instantaneous? No, it's not. 
It's called sanctification. We're going to talk about that more in detail next week as we talk about the restoration. But when you come into relationship with Jesus, this is what happens. You're moved from death to life. I was once dead in my sin, Ephesians tells us, but now I'm alive in Christ. I was once dead and separated from God. Now I'm alive and united with God because he has done everything possible to bring me back into the relationship that he created for me, created me for. But I'm not perfect yet. You hang out with me long enough, you'll learn I'm not perfect yet. I hang out with you long enough, I'll learn the same thing about you. But we should be as Christians on the road of restoration as those broken spaces of our lives are healed and put back together. Today, have you been rescued by Jesus? Today, is there, can you say there was a moment in my life that I was rescued by Jesus? For me, you've heard, if you've been in Red Lane long, at least the last few years, you've heard that for me, that day was in 1997, April of 1997, a freshman at the University of Arkansas, a religious kid. I taught Sunday school, seventh grade Sunday school, as a leader in my student ministry. I, I tried hard to be a Christian. I was doing everything I possibly knew to do to try to make that thing called Christian living work, but I was separated from God. I was shameful of my life. There was brokenness there, and yet God met me on a particular morning in a passage in 1 John 5 that says, he who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. And I began to realize, man, I've got religion, and I've got all these good works, quote unquote, but there's no life in me. God that day rescued me and changed my life. Today, I wonder, has you been rescued by Jesus? And if you haven't, you just need to know it's simple. It's not complex. I mean, Jesus said this, that, that we need to have the faith of children. We need to have to faith in the God like a child. The gospel is so simple that a child can believe in it, and yet it's so deep that it can never be exhausted. The Bible tells us simply that if we will confess our sin, if we will repent, turn from that sin, and turn to Jesus in faith, believing in what he did for us on the cross and in, in the resurrection, then we would be rescued. We would be forgiven of our sin. It's simple. And yet it takes faith. So today, what would keep you from surrendering your life to Jesus? What is it that would keep you from surrendering your life to Jesus? I've often wondered about that. You go and you meet with somebody and, and you know that they're not walking with Jesus. Their life exemplifies that. Maybe they've even made statements that would lead you to believe that. And so you go, you sit down with them. Maybe it's over a cup of coffee. Maybe it's at their house. And, and you take the word of God and you begin to explain the gospel to them. And, and you tell them how Jesus loves them and how Jesus has done everything necessary to, to make it possible for them to be in relationship with Jesus. That he's dealt with their sin. He's dealt with their shame. He's dealt with the separation, the brokenness, all of those things that, that are the result of the fall. And, and you get to that point point and you say, would you like to place your faith in Jesus? And they look at you and say, not today. Why is it that? Why is it that they would do that? Why is it that a person would say, you know what, I'm not, I don't really think that's for me right now. Maybe later. And perhaps that's you this morning. You're saying, you know what, that sounds good. And, and I believe that somewhat, but not enough to believe wholeheartedly and say, I want to put my life there. But today, some in this room, maybe it's a child, an adult, senior adult even, the greatest need in your life is not more preaching. It's not more religious activity. 
greatest need in your life is to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm separated from you. But today I want to change that. I want to put my faith in what you've done, and I want you to become the Lord and the Savior of my life. What would keep you from surrendering to Jesus today? Many of us in this room have been rescued. What are we to do? Celebrate it. Man, you ought to get excited about this. I think one of the reasons I love C.S. Lewis's story so much is because they so wonderfully depict the gospel. And if you've seen those movies, you've read those books, when Aslan comes out and he's the, he's the Jesus Christ figure in the story and he comes out and, and he speaks those words, it just, it just speaks so clearly back to the gospel and, and helps me to see how great and wonderful and, and gracious he is. And so what I want to do is I want to celebrate that in my life. I want to fan that, that flame in my life. I want to I think about what I've been rescued from. I want to cherish the goodness of God in my life. I want to remember from whence I come and the lifestyle that I lived and the brokenness that was there and the things that I was shameful of. And I want to continue to walk in sanctification and cherish what Jesus has done for us. I want to get excited about my faith. Why is it that we as Christians are so dead sometimes? Could it be that we've forgotten what we've been rescued from? I think one of the beauties of the Lord's Supper is that when we do this in remembrance of Him, what are we doing? We're remembering what He's done for us. I was once broken. I was once sinful. I was once shameful. I was once separated from God. But He broke into my life and He rescued me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't want it. I didn't look for it. I wasn't seeking it. But He came to me and rescued me. Somebody say something this morning. What are we to do? If you don't know Jesus this morning, the greatest need in your life is to surrender to him. We're going to have a time of response before we partake of this table. That's what you need to do today. You need to come during this response time, and we'll put you with one of our, our, uh, our folks that will help you with the gospel, our encouragers. And they will walk you through what the gospel, what we've been preaching this morning, and they will help you to come to a place of repentance and faith. If you're a Christian today, you need to just celebrate and cherish what Jesus has done for you. And even before we partake of this, of this meal, this supper, if there's sin in your life, shameful things in your life, there needs to be a time as you respond and reflect, and just, Lord, cleanse my heart. Lord, what is it in my life that's not right? Lord, what is it in my life that doesn't please you? Lord, what is it in my, 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 my speech, the things that I've said this week, the things that I've seen, the thoughts that I've thought, the actions that I've been a part of? Lord, cleanse me and purify me so that I don't come in an unworthy manner before your table to celebrate what you've done in my life. That's what Paul would teach us in 1 Corinthians. So this morning, as we move into a time of response, it's for the lost people in this room to put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's for the saved people in this room to say, Lord Jesus, make sure that I'm clean. I want to be right before you as I celebrate the salvation that you've given me through this meal. And perhaps, even for those who have been visiting with us for for some time now, it's time for you to join. And you just want to take a step of faith and say, uh, me and my family, we believe God's leading us here. And you come this morning and We'll begin that process of what it means to be a member and a participant of this church called Red Lane Baptist. And so let's pray this morning. And let's ask God to prepare our hearts. Father, we, we're so grateful for what you've done for us.
The rescue mission of the cross is the greatest rescue mission in the history of the universe. There's nothing that even comes close. As the God of heaven took on human flesh and was birthed into this world, living a perfect, sinless life, dying as a perfect and holy sacrifice, blood being shed as a payment for sin. Lord, that just reminds us of what your word says. For the wages of sin is death. God, the payment for all of our sin, all of us have sin. The payment, the wage for that is death. It's exactly what you told Adam in Genesis chapter 2. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. That death was both spiritual and physical. And Adam and Eve and every person from then to today to the end of history have experienced those two things. But through Jesus, we can be rescued from spiritual death having our hearts come alive once again to the God that we are created to know and to serve. And that through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, though we may die physically in this life, there's a resurrection awaiting us. Lord, your word tells us to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. This is not all that there is in this universe. There's another life. And even this old Adam flesh will one day be resurrected thank you for that. This morning as we reflect on that, this morning as we remember what you've done for us, God help us to prepare our hearts. I pray for lost people this morning to say yes to Jesus. I pray for saved people this morning to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. God as we examine our hearts, may your spirit reveal any and all sin. May we confess that sin. God may we, may we be ready to come before your table to remember the rescue of our lives. Bless us now in Jesus' name.